Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. You know, when it comes to human nature, we're all pretty much the same, aren't we? We're all protective of the image that we're trying to project before others, and we all tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We compare ourselves to others and judge ourselves to be not too bad after all. Well, the Lord Jesus, he looks much deeper than we thought, way beyond the facade that we put up. God says that there is really no difference between all of us. We have all sinned and come short of his standard. We're all sinners. Yes, sinners. Individuals who break God's law in order to get what we want for ourselves. Have you faced that fact yet? In today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. Michael Penfold lays out before us the nature of a sinner and wonders if you can see a reflection of yourself in the Bible's description, me the sinner. It's important, my friend, because Acknowledging you're a sinner is the first step toward receiving the wonderful gift of eternal life from God himself. Only then can you become the me in the second verse, and that's this, the Son of God who gave himself for me. Listen as Mr. Penfold explains. In Luke chapter 18, the Lord Jesus Christ tells a story, a parable. He was talking to some people who were religious, very much good people felt that they were good, felt that they were Christians and going to heaven, as it were, in our terminology, but actually they weren't. And so he tells this story to try and let them see that they weren't quite what they thought they were. So let's listen to this parable of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He spake this parable unto certain people which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So here's the story. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple, the Jewish temple, to pray. The one a Pharisee, a religious person, and the other a publican, a tax collector, someone that was despised and considered a sinner. And the Pharisee, the religious person, stood in the temple and prayed thus with himself. So now we can actually hear what this man was praying. Here is what he prayed. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican, this tax collector who was standing nearby. He goes on, I fast, I abstain from food twice in the week. I give tithes, I give 10% of my money, of all that I possess. And that's the end of his prayer. Then we get a little look at the tax collector who's standing also in the temple, verse 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. But he smote upon his breast, his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is the Lord Jesus' comment about his story, verse 14. I tell you, he says, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house after being in the temple, 
justified. That means he was right with God. He was ready for heaven rather than the other, the religious man. Then he adds these words, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I want to just highlight the last three words of verse 13. Me, a sinner. Literally in the Greek language behind the Bible, it's actually me, the sinner. Me, the sinner. Now, come over, if you can, to Galatians chapter 2, please, for our second verse. This is going to be a much shorter reading in Galatians and chapter 2. This isn't the Lord Jesus speaking now. This is a man called Paul. He had been a Jewish rabbi, and, and he became a Christian, much to everyone's surprise, because he used to kill Christians. And he discovered that this person that he thought was just a blasphemer and deserved to die on the cross, the Lord Jesus, actually was the Son of God. And he writes in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and we're going to read the last part of the verse, 20b, as it were, starting where he says, the Son of God. If you can see that there at the end of verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2. So here's the words of Paul. The Son of God, who loved me and gave himself... For me. Now, when he talks about giving himself, he's referring to when Jesus died on the cross, giving himself to death, giving himself as a sacrifice. And he's referring to that day at the cross when Jesus died. And he describes what happened on that day as the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And again, I just want to emphasize the last three words of that verse himself, meaning the Lord Jesus himself for me. So those are going to be the six words that we're going to look at tonight. From the Gospel of Luke, me, the sinner. And then from Galatians chapter 2, himself for me. If you want to go to heaven, you are going to have to take both of those little expressions on board. And you are going to have to agree with them 100%, and not just theoretically, not just Theologically, yes, I agree with what the Bible says. I'm ticking that box. No, you are going to have to take this right into you on board and acknowledge it and digest it and accept it and make it your own. It's not going to be easy. Salvation is simple, but it's not easy. And it's not easy because the human heart is just like the people in chapter 18. We all have a tendency to think we're better than we are. This doesn't just apply to rich people. Most people that are in prison think that they're better than they are. Go to someone in prison, they'll tell you, see the guy down there in that cell? He's worse than me. There's something naturally self-righteous about the human condition. And we're all very keen to feel that we're just not quite as bad as the next guy. We can take a drink and leave it. But the guy down there, he gets drunk. But you see that guy that gets drunk? He says, I get drunk, but I don't actually lie down in the gutter. There's a sliding scale that humanity likes to sit on. And there's always a guy further down the scale. And at one end of the scale, we like to think, there's Mother Teresa. And at the other end of the scale, so we like to think, there's Adolf Hitler. We're not as good as Mother Teresa, so we think. We're not as bad as Adolf Hitler, so we think. We're somewhere on this sliding scale. And we all have this kind of idea that we're just about far enough up that scale that we've probably got a pretty good chance of going to heaven if we die. Everything I've just said is wrong. 
God doesn't have a sliding scale. God doesn't add up your sins and think, right, there's 50, that's, that's reasonable. This one's 500, that's pretty bad. This one's 5,000, that's really, really bad. This one can go to heaven. This one can go to purgatory. This one goes... To... That is not in the Bible. In fact, although God does acknowledge and take account of every one of your sins individually, he knows them all. What you think, what you say, what you do, it's all known, it's all catalogued, it's all evaluated, it's all weighed. He also takes into account something else, which is even more significant. God doesn't only take into account what you've done. He goes right back beyond all the things you've done, and he looks at why you've done them. And what is the explanation of the Bible for why we do what we do? It's in this verse. We are sinners. The Bible doesn't say we become sinners by sinning. You might think, when I was born, I was an innocent little baby. And if only I'd have kept going that way, I'd have got to heaven. No, my friend. Bible teaches we are born with a nature that is rotten to the core. We are sinful, not just by the practice, the things that we do. In fact, the things that we do are just the fruit that grows on a rotten tree called human nature. I have a book at home in my library. It's called 12 Theories About Human Nature. And it looks at the Darwinian theory and the Freudian theory. And they're all trying to explain why people do what they do. Do you know what the Bible says? We do what we do because we are what we are. We are sinners. And you know what sinners do? Sinners commit sin. As naturally as a duck takes to water, as naturally as a spark flies upward, it comes naturally. Are you a parent? You know exactly what I'm saying. Are you a human being? You know exactly what I'm saying. You didn't have to go to sinning 101. You didn't have to get teaching on how to sin. We were sitting in the breaking of bread last week. There's a little three-year-old girl. She, she's sitting on the next to mom and dad. Mommy has the six-month-old baby boy in her arms. The three-year-old girl reaches out and grabs the six-month-old baby's hair and gives it a yank. Wakes that baby up screaming his head off. Totally unprovoked. Without anybody suggesting that she did that. Without anybody showing her how to do that. Without her seeing an example of anybody else doing that. Where did that come from? It came from within. The Bible talks about what comes out of the heart of man. These same people that Jesus was talking to in chapter 18 were also very upset one day when Jesus' disciples took a meal without ceremonially washing their hands. And they said, oh, well, if you don't ceremonially wash your hands, then you'll be unclean because you may get bugs and, and all those kind of things from not washing your hands. But the real moral defilement doesn't come from outside. It comes from within. Now, the man in this story that got saved who got salvation that we've been singing about, who's going to heaven. He was the person who gave up all that nonsense about being on a sliding scale and being better than his next door. No, he, he was so 
remorseful about his shameful life and his wicked, sinful heart. He didn't even lift up his head. Even in his very posture, he was intimating that he felt the guilt that was in his very heart. And he bows his head before God and he says, me, me, sinner. Now, is there someone in the gospel meeting tonight can take those words onto your lips, into your heart, and say them in the presence of God, not in front of us, not in front of a priest, in the presence of God, fully acknowledging what that sentence means. It doesn't just mean, I've done a few bad things. If all you're prepared to do is acknowledge that you've done a few bad things, you will never be saved. If all you're prepared to do is say, well, nobody's perfect, but I try my best, you are a million miles from salvation. Repentance is when you come to God and say, game over. I am nothing but a guilty, bankrupt, judgment-deserving sinner. And if you put me in hell and close the door and throw away the key, you are right. I am wrong. So if I draw some circles on the ground here, and in one circle I say, good person, and in another circle I say, average person, and in another I say, sinner, which circle would you come and stand in if it was your turn to stand? Well, well I've done a few, but no, no, no. The Bible says this. It lines all of humanity up and says, there's no difference. As far as this great fact is concerned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you willing to acknowledge that tonight? Now, you see this chart here? If you're sitting there thinking, I've obviously got to understand everything on there to be saved, you're greatly mistaken. There's a lot of good stuff on there. All you need to understand to be saved is this. Me, the sinner. That's where it starts. God can do nothing for you. Omnipotent though he is. Almighty though he is, he cannot do anything for you until you come as a sinner to Jesus. If there's someone in this room tonight and you're already there, maybe you were there before you came into the meeting. Perhaps there's someone tonight, you came to the meeting and you felt, you not only felt guilty, you knew that you are guilty. My brother-in-law got saved about a year ago. He's 43 years old. He'd been to Gospel Hall all his life. He even said he was saved once, but he didn't live anything like a saved person. He was a successful businessman. His great obsession was hunting, going out on horses and hunting foxes. And he was in the hunting club and business, hobnobbing with the business people, drinking and so on. Around last February, he flew over to England from Ireland where he lives. And he was attending a business show. That night after the business show, some of the business people said, Darius, come on round to the um, to the flat, to the to the apartment, and we're going to have a we're going to have a few drinks and so on. He went round. This is a Christian's child brought up in a gospel. He went round to this apartment, and they started drinking, drinking, and drinking, and drinking. He said later, "I don't even remember how I got home from the apartment that night." The next morning, he finally woke up. Lying in the hotel bed, looking up at the ceiling, around nine o'clock in the morning, he should have been at the show already. He looked at his watch, he, he felt his headache, and he just suddenly said to himself, this is enough. This is enough wandering from God. This is enough pretending. 
This is enough trying to keep up a respectable front and attending the occasional gospel meeting. You are nothing but a sinner on the way to hell and you need to be saved. And he made up his mind that day. That's the last time I will touch a drop of drink. And he came home to Ireland and he started attending meetings like this. Me the sinner. So what happened to Darius? The same thing that happened to this man here called Paul in Galatians chapter 2. He started attending gospel meetings and, and listening to the gospel and bringing back the memories of his childhood of sitting, singing those hymns. There is a story sweet to hear. I love to tell it too. It fills my heart with hope and cheer. It's old yet ever new. The story of Christ, the story of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm preaching to you tonight that salvation is in a person. And that person is the Son of God. And why is salvation in a person? It's in him because he alone is the Son of God. He alone is the virgin-born Savior. He alone is the mediator between God and men. He alone is God incarnate in flesh. He has the power. He has the authority to forgive sins. And in A.D. 32 or 33, he went to Calvary's cross. What did he do on that cross? It says it in such succinct, simple words in this verse. I love this verse. He loved me and gave himself for me. That is salvation. An appreciation of that truth and of the person of whom that verse is speaking. Drinking in the truth of that. Here I am. Me. The sinner. But Though I am a sinner and facing the flames of an eternal hell, here's something now. Here's something amazing. Here's something like waters to a thirsty soul. There's someone, the Son of God, and what has he done? He has loved me. How can he love me? I'm a sinner. Do you love bad, wicked, evil people? That's what he did. He looked down from the glory of a holy heaven to this rotten, corrupt, sinful world where the thoughts and imaginations of man are only evil continually. He says, I love those people. And he came billions of light years from the glories of heaven to a cross to be nailed, to be spat upon, to be crucified. Why? Because he loves you. Unworthy though you are, guilty though you are, Bankrupt though you are, he loves you. But he doesn't just love you. He's got the power to do something for you. This isn't some kind of love that stands at a distance. All those poor people. No, no, no. He was able not just to express love, but in this particular way to actually give himself. To die instead of you. To take your place, to take your punishment, that the judgment and wrath of God that should have crushed you to the lowest hell fell on him when he was on the cross. 
When I was 14 years of age, sitting in a meeting just like this, without signing anything, without raising my hand, without coming to the front, without shedding buckets of tears, without anything that you normally associate with the born-again phenomenon, just simply sitting on the seat in a meeting thinking, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be saved. I can't save myself. What am I going to do? And it suddenly came to me through the Bible. I don't need to do anything because the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And those two words, for me, made the difference between heaven and hell for this guilty sinner here. And my brother-in-law, and he's sitting in the meeting and he's just got this agonized look on his face. I've heard this message all my life and here I am, just a rebel. Just a sinner who's lived life for, for me, for Darius. And it's been all about selfishness and drink and pleasure. And, and here I am and I can't even understand this gospel. How do I get saved? Try to believe and he tried to trust and he tried to come to an end of himself. And everything the preacher said, he tried to do it. He was trying to work at believing as hard as he could. Different people talked to him. Got right down on his face. Trying to impress God with how... How much he really, really believed. One day he went to work. He's just wandering around in the office. Couldn't even think straight. Came to lunchtime. He went out to his car to get his lunch. He hadn't even brought lunch. He was so distraught. He was thinking he'd brought some lunch when he hadn't even brought any. He just said, what am I doing? He closed the car door. He turned around and he started to head back to the door of the, of the office. And he's walking across the car park. And as he's walking across the car park, this is a 43-year-old businessman. He's thinking to himself, God the Father says that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for Darius. And God the Father says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he was saved just like that. That's it. Me the sinner. Himself for me. And the Lord just joined all the dots together in Darius's head right there. And he was saved standing in the car park. And his sister was saved the next day. And into two lives that had lived wandering, prodigal, rebellious lives for, for all those years. God came in in his grace and in his love and in his mercy and saved. Now, what about you? When are you going to be saved? You've no guarantee that you've got tomorrow. This is the time. Oh, then be wise. You want to be saved? Why not tonight? See, you could go out of that door tonight and say, oh, that was a lovely message. Wonderful. I'm intending to get saved one day. Killed in a car crash and never have another opportunity. You gonna stand in that circle? Me the sinner. Stand in that circle, my friend, bow your head before a holy God and let it come out. Me the sinner. Fix your eyes upon the man of Calvary and understand this, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Are you able to place yourself in this verse? Are you a recipient of eternal life? Well, only if you place yourself in the first verse, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you done that? Will you agree with God about your true nature, sinful, lost, and helpless? We hope that you will. And 
that you will find yourself as the one who Christ came to save. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>